David, a man after God's own heart. We've been spending a number of Sundays in the life of David. Uh, this, this, this great man of God, this, this man who had a heart after God. And yet we hear it being human. He was also, as this uh, bumper video tells us, he was a, an adulterer and a murderer. We're going to be talking about that this morning, how even great Christians can be great sinners. And they need Jesus as much as anyone else. The Chicago Black Hawks have been in the news of late, and um, it hasn't been good news. Uh, it's been pretty much bad news, for, first of all, but really not referring to the one and nine start. I think that's what it is now, and I think I heard last night they got rid of the coach and some of the assistant coaches for that. But it's not because they're a one and nine record as they start the season. It's because of something that happened 10 years ago where one of those coaches sexually abused one of the players, and they, for 10 years, a decade plus, they had it covered up, and they thought they got away with it. And then just in these last few weeks, we're hearing that all that is coming out now, and they find out, as all of us, when we hide our sins, your sins will find you out. It was a sexual abuse case, and now a number of those in top leadership positions are stepping down as well. This morning we come to a point in David's life where even though he was a man after God's own heart, he was a sinner. He loved God dearly. He served God wholeheartedly. And yet because of this sinful condition, because of his depravity, there were times in his life when he struggled with sin and even what we might call some great sins. And this morning we're going to turn to, for some of us, a familiar story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's found in page 439, and the Bible's in the seat in front of you if you would like to follow, which you might want to do. There's some 20, 27 verses that we're going to be reading. Sometimes it's easy to follow, to, to, to hear it when you follow along as well. Page 439 in, those, in the Bible's in front of you, because this is a story of David's cover-up, not just the Blackhawks and not just others and not just you and me. But this was David's attempt at covering up his sin. Boys and girls, you know what it's like when you're naughty and you hope mom and dad doesn't find out? That's what the story is about. David was naughty, very naughty, and he was hoping that no one would find out. In fact, he, as all of us have done in our lives, tried to cover it up. Some would call this David's fall from grace. For those of us who are Christians, we never really fall away from grace, but we can mess up. And God, because of who he is, always comes to us because of his covenant, his agreement, his love for us. He comes running after us. This story, one of David's two great sins, the other one was the counting of his army that comes at the end of 2 Samuel. You may want to read about that. I can't remember the chapter, but it's the, almost the second to the last chapter where he begins to count his counting uh, his uh, military men as well, thinking that he found security in them. But this was really the first big one that he committed. Second Samuel 11, I read you through these words this morning. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, I always find that kind of interesting, right? Oh, it's springtime. Oh, time to fight. I don't know. I guess that was just an agreed upon thing. Maybe they rested during the other months, but now it was time to go to war again. At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out <clears throat> with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. 
and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Ravab. But David remained in Jerusalem. First time that he didn't go out with his men, and we're going to see that's a problem for him. First time he stayed back. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof and palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was being purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house. Now let's start listening at his attempts to cover up his sin. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in an open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. <clears throat> then David said to him, stay here one more day. Second attempt now at covering up. Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. <clears throat> At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front, where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him, so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger... When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know that they would soon shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerob Bashith? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. 
The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had told him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One thing I want you to notice as we get into this this passage of Scripture into David's life is sometimes when we begin reading some of these verses, you can just jump over from one to the next without first catching something that I think is kind of important here, right in verse 1. And this is a matter of when you fall from grace into sin, it's more likely to happen during your times of leisure. I want you to think about that for a moment. When you don't have things scheduled, when you're alone, by yourself, wondering what you're going to do for the day and don't really have a plan in place. Falling from grace into sin is more likely to happen during times of leisure. That's when Satan knows that that we're most vulnerable. Notice with David in verse 1. The men went out to battle, and David is pretty much left alone. All his military uh, uh, strongmen are gone. His, His close friends are out to war. David is alone, which means David is vulnerable. None of his accountability partners are around, right? They're all off to war. I think about this in the case of Jesus, and I think it's both Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4. When Jesus is alone in the desert, Jesus is vulnerable. And who shows up? Satan shows up. And Satan, as it says, I think, in verse 13 at the end of that, of that, at that uh, story, that it was an opportune time for Satan to come after Jesus. And I want you to hear that this morning as we continue to go through this passage because I think it's really important that that we understand this. We are at our our most vulnerable times in life for Satan's attack when we are in our leisure. When we're alone, we are most vulnerable, as was the case for David, as was the case for Jesus, so is the case for us. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, watch out for this roaring lion. He's going to attack you most when you're alone and in your leisure. Falling from grace into sin is most likely to happen during times of leisure. Not only that, notice, uh, and and men, women as well, but men especially are going to understand this. Falling from grace into sin may begin with just an innocent look at a beautiful woman. But if you're not careful, that look can turn into a lustful desire. Most men that I know, friends of mine, others, know that it's, uh, 
Or it's so easy to notice a beautiful woman. You can't deny it. God did a really good thing when he made women. They're beautiful. And you can't help but notice a beautiful woman. At first glance, when you see that, that's, and you look at a person like David did, that, that's really not the problem, because you're going to see a beautiful woman. You can glance. The problem occurs when that look becomes a stare and a continued look. And you don't look away when you could and should. And that look can slowly turn into what's called a lustful look or desire. David in verses 2 through 5 says, He was walking along in his palace and he looked over and he, and he saw Bathsheba bathing. He could have turned around, walked right back into the palace and he said, Oh, I, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, uh, I'll just I, I have to take my eyes off of her and go back inside. No, it's pretty, pretty sure that he continues to look and he continues to look and what, uh, what is aroused in him, as with many men and some women, is that that look turns to a lustful desire. And because who he is as king, this is the problem with, with power, he sends for Bathsheba. A king's word was law in that day. He sends for Bathsheba, he, ha- he makes love with Bathsheba, and this is a matter of, uh, one, abuse of power. Being who he was the king, his word was law. We, we use the term today abuse of power, but it also has to do with sexual abuse, taking advantage of this woman, and she pretty much had to do what he said. Some people want to blame Bathsheba for, for, for washing uh, half-naked, whatever it was, in, out in the open. This has nothing to do with what Bathsheba was doing. She is, is not someone like a, a mutual consent kind of thing. This all falls on David. She leaves, sends word back soon that I'm pregnant. Think about it for a moment. Uh, we, I hear so much today, near past, we'll hear more about it as days goes on, how, how men uh, in positions of power, uh, CEOs, politicians, uh, pastors, uh, Boy Scout leaders go on and on and on where we hear in the news often where men who have positions of power use that power to abuse someone. And this is exactly what David is doing here. He's using his seat of power to abuse someone who's innocent. Uh, and if it's not that, if you think, well, that kind of stays me clear, then for, for many men here this morning, they understand what can happen when you look at a beautiful woman, whether, whether you're, you're walking down the street or whether you're on the computer, and how quickly, if you don't turn away, that can turn into a lustful look. That's why James writes later about, um, be careful when you're tempted. David was tempted. You're not sinning when you're tempted. You're sinning when you respond to the temptation. He says, be careful when you're tempted that you don't be carried away by the enticed by your own lust. This is what was going on with David. He should have looked away and walked away. But he kept looking, and it became a problem. Now, we've been talking about David so far before this morning about this great man of God after his own heart. And when I start reading this chapter, uh, 2 Samuel 11, I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Here's a man after God's own heart, this, 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 this uh, almost perfect kind of guy 
who gets that credited to his name. Like, his, like I said before, his, his, his gravestone will, will say, here lies a man after God's own heart. He, he was like God's ideal kind of righteous kind of guy. And yet, how could this guy, king, shepherd king, David, how could he create, how could he take part in such a sin? How could he do that? What was the matter with him? And isn't that kind of what we do as, as, as Christians? And for those of us who are Christians, Christian or not, uh, when we start looking at other people's sins and we start saying something like, oh, how, whether you're watching news and bad things that are happening in Chicago and the like, and even around here when it comes to drugs and this and that, you can say, how could that person do such a thing? I thought that person was a man of God. I thought that person was a woman of God. What in the world ever came over them to think that they would do such a thing? You know, it's so easy, isn't it? We point the finger at other people. And we're, it's easier for us to see David's sin. It's easier for us to see sins of those around us uh, and those in the nation and in the world. And we say, what's the matter with those people? I thought they were Christians. And we have to be so careful of that because we need to understand. I'm going to be talking about this in uh, uh, Cafe Conversations tonight about original sin and total depravity. We are all sinners in, in need of a Savior. We're all vulnerable we are all weak. The catechism, question and answer 127 says, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. So when we start talking about David and other people, don't just say, whew, what's the matter with those people? No, you need to say, what's the matter with me? Always look in your own heart and your own mind before we get in the danger of judging someone else. Due to our human depravity, we are all capable and all have fallen from grace at times in one way or another. Romans 23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Whether it's a sexual sin or another sin, you can relate to that this morning. Don't get on David's case. Don't get on the case of all those things going on with the Blackhawks and anyone else in the world about sexual sin or other sins. God, first of all, wants us to recognize this does and will if it has not happened to you as well. Now, that being the case... Since we're all in this same boat of, of, of original sin, actual sin, a human condition, our sinful condition, uh, the question needs to be asked, what should I do if I sin? And this applies to everyone here this morning. What, what is a, a believer, a, a Christian, and even can say, what, a non-Christian, what are you supposed to do when, when you looked too much at something and lust created you or any other sin in your life that is that is captivated you, how should a believer and a Christian respond when they did not resist the temptation and committed a sin? And the bottom line is you have a choice to make right at that time. You have a choice to make. All of us have a choice to make. And the first choice is uh, we confess our sins. Well, you could deal with it right away. The sooner you deal with it, the better. The longer you fail to deal with it, the worse it gets for you, as we're going to find with David. You confess your sins. You step up to the plate right away. If someone approaches you and recognizes there's a sin in your life and they're pointing that sin out to you, the best response you have at that moment is, it's me. I've committed a sin. Uh, thank you for pointing it out. I need to get right with God. I need, I need to face the music. And I need to face the music right now because if I don't face the music right now, it's going to eventually catch up with you because your sins, Numbers 32, 23, your sins are going to find you out sooner or later. Take care of it. Confess it. Or you have the option of what's called the hidden sin. 
Uh, you don't want to deal with it? You don't want anybody else to find out about it uh, because you know the shame that you would face and the, consequ the consequences that you would face. Uh, and you've got a reputation you've got to keep, right? You're a Christian. I have a reputation to keep. Uh, I have this integrity issue in my life. Uh, this might ruin my marriage. This might ruin my family. <clears throat> it, I might lose my job or have a financial difficulty because of what I did. And so we hear of it often in the news, and some of us have experienced it, where you just say, no, it's best for me because I don't want to be shamed and, 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 and go through this. I'm going to hide it. It's called the hidden sin. You all, I have, have them or had them. The hidden sin that exists. David's response. What he should have responded right away was a confession. We're going to hear about that next week, Lord willing. But his first response in verses 6 through 13 is simply, he chooses to conceal his sin. And he takes two attempts with Uriah, okay? Got to have a plan. Uh, Bathsheba's pregnant, okay? I got a plan. I got to get her husband home, go in and make love with his wife, and then we can just claim that that baby is his and I am clean and ready to go. Right? That's the plan. So he has Uriah come back from, from the, uh, the, the war place, and he says, listen, I need you to... I just want to give you a break and the like. Make sure you go home and, and, and be with your wife tonight and, and uh, let's just, just have a good rest and I'll send you back. And of course, we read in the story that, well, the first night doesn't, doesn't work well. And he says, okay, I tried once. I got to have another plan. I know I'll get him drunk. And when he's drunk, I'll send him back to us home and surely he won't even know what's going on. And surely then he'll have making love with his wife and it'll be covered because then we can say that the baby is his. He makes... Two attempts, and both attempts fail. Um, operation cover-up is really what he's talking about, right? And how many times when we sin, boys and girls, you too, and when you're naughty, when you, when, when you disobeyed and you don't want mom or dad or grandpa or grandma to find out, we want to cover it up. We really don't want them to find out. And we can be play hide-and-seek at home. Sometimes we play hide-and-seek with our sins when we're naughty. We rather choose to conceal our sin. Operation cover-up, if I can just keep it a secret, no one else will ever have to know. And I can move forward. Uh, well, I thought about that, at least in this case, is when, I, when I hear these words, I'm, I'm pregnant, I just think about all the ways that any number of people have tried to cover up their sin of, of uh, when someone became pregnant who didn't want to be pregnant, whether it was uh, a sexual abuse or consensual and there are ways, of course, to try to hide that sin, right? Abortion. Or it may be uh, hush money. How many times have you heard that in the news? Someone is paid off to keep quiet. Or now this, this pill that's been around for a while, it's called Plan B Step 1 pill. That's a pill you can take the next morning, and it'll, it'll uh, stop the pregnancy. All attempts to conceal something that you want concealed Nobody has to know because if it's found out, it could ruin my marriage. It can ruin my reputation. And then there's this thing about shame and facing the consequences. It's an easy choice in this case for many people to say, I'm just going to keep it hidden. My reputation, my integrity, my marriage and my family and my job matter most to me. David's first two attempts failed. He's, he's playing Operation Cover-Up. But he's failed in the first two attempts. So now he has to go to extreme measures. He says, I'm, I'm going to see this through. Nobody's going to find out. I'm going to keep this thing hidden. One other thing I can do that he 
he's pretty sure he's going to be successful. I'm going to send Uriah to where the, where the fighting is fiercest in the war. And I'll tell Joab, just put him right in the front lines where we're pretty sure that when he withdraws some of them in back, who's ever left up there will be killed, which is exactly what happened. And Uriah is killed. Now, I want to stop for a moment and just share with you how what's happened since his first sin of looking that turned to lust and how his sins began to stack up against him. And I need a helper to come up to pull some things out of this bag for me. Who, who can come and help me pull these out and hand to me? Whoever comes up here gets to do it. First one up. Oh, two. Okay. You stand here and help. And I needed you to pull out one at a time, and you hand it to me, okay? So first you take turns tearing. So one at a time. First, and this is what I want you to envision as we talk about sins. Oh, you're not going to be able to see that over here too much. Your sin's stacking up against you. There's the sin of lust. He could have said, it's me, it's my problem. I admit it, I confess it. Life all better for David. He doesn't. What else do we have? The sin of coveting, right? Do not covet your neighbor's wife. What other sin do we have? Oh, let's, oh, let's do this one. We don't often hear it said this way, but it truly was a rape on his part. Another sin we had, of course, was adultery. David committed adultery. One sin being stacked upon the other. We have the abuse and the abuse of power. We have accessory to murder. We have, maybe seated, thank you. You may go down. This whole idea of hypocrisy and lying. And just look for a moment. It could have all stopped right here. And this is a, a sinful a path that's taken by, by any number of people. It could have stopped right here with a lust, lustful look. I did it. I'm, you're pregnant? Okay, i got to deal with it. My bad. Let's deal with it. Let's get right with God and right with people. And all of this could have been avoided. But when you try to hide your sins, you see, when, when you try to keep them a secret, you're hoping nobody's going to find out. What You know this already. I don't have to tell you this. You know this. You have to, to conceal them. You've got to start sinning again and again. And again, and again, and again, and again. Because to keep a sin quiet, you're going to have to sin some more. That's exactly what's going on in David's life. And that's exactly what happens to us as well. One sin leads to another. You know that. And then to another. And then to another. Well, David, at this point, is like... Yes, I got away with it, right? Uriah's out of the picture. Some time will pass. Bathsheba is, is going to mourn. But after the time of mourning, he calls her back up into, his, uh, into, into the relationship with him and takes her as his wife, and they have a baby boy. And everything's going to be forgotten. No one will ever know. And his reputation is saved. His integrity is saved. And you know, just think how many times you and I think the same thing. That, and boys and girls too, when you're naughty, when you sin, and you don't want mom or dad to find out how easy it is to conceal it, and then you think you got away with it. You can all think of times 
before you've done that. I'm going to get away with it. Operation cover up a success. No one is ever going to know what happened. However, as David found out, and more about this next week when we get into 2 Samuel 12, not only David found out, but we find out as well. Um, when we choose to hide our sin, when we choose to keep it a secret, there's something that we learn very quickly. We can hide our sins from each other pretty successfully, at least for a long time. But you cannot hide your sins from God. I just got to let that sink in for a moment because sometimes we forget this because we get so blind to what's going on in our lives, thinking we got away with everything. You cannot hide your sins from God. Psalm 90 says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Oh, whoa! God sees, God knows everything that we do. Everything, every iniquity, every sin, every transgression. God is well aware what's going on in our lives. And we cannot, David could not, no human being can hide their sins from God. David thought he got away with it. But notice how this chapter ends. But this thing displeased the Lord. David couldn't get away with God. It displeased the Lord. And believe me, God is, is displeased with us as well when we think we can hide our sins from him. He says, if you would really know me, you would know that you cannot hide anything from me. Nothing. I see everything that goes on in your life and well aware of it. In other words, don't cover up what God has called you to confess and to turn away from. Don't cover it up. A better choice is to confess. Well, at this point in David's life, and when this happens in our lives, it'd be very justifiable for God to say, that's it, it's over. <laughs> You're done. You, you have no hope anymore. I can't believe you, you, you hide your sins, you did this terrible thing, and you haven't confessed it to me. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to abandon you in your sin. You have no hope. That's how we might respond to people who do that to us. But if we really know who God is, we know that God is loving, full of compassion, and God is full of forgiveness. And God has this thing called covenant, this agreement that he made with us through Jesus Christ a long time ago, and even an agreement that he made with David, I'll be a, uh, to, to, well, all the way back to Abraham for the Old Testament saints. I'll be a God to you, and you know what? I'm never going to break covenant with you, even though you break covenant with me. You mess up, I'm still always going to take you back, because that's the kind of God I am, full of love and full of mercy. I am a God, as we're going to sing in just a moment, of grace and peace. And I offer that to you. I offer that to you even when your sins are hidden. Next week, the Lord willing, we're going to go into the next chapter and we're going, to, we're going to discover together how God confronts people like you and me and David, how God graciously confronts us when we have chosen to play Operation Cover-Up and how thankful we are and will be when God graciously confronts us 
and gets us back into relationship with him. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. It's kind of a, a difficult place to end because we leave David kind of hanging. We leave our own lives kind of hanging in the balance. How you have every right to walk out on us because we didn't keep our part of the covenant with you. When we choose not to confess our sins, when we choose to play Operation Cover-Up like David. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we have a God who is not like us in that way. But that even when we, for sake of words, fall from grace into sin, you're always there to, to catch us and to bring us back to yourself. And, and as we'll discover next week, always graciously confronting us so that we'll finally confess and, and rid ourselves of this guilt that we carry because of it. And even especially as we come to the table this morning, a reminder, this is why Jesus died. Even dying for the sins that we have covered up. All because of your grace.